We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Caption Celluloid and Make Time for This, probably part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. And on this episode, we're going to revisit a filmmaker that we, we did an episode on the pod. I don't feel like it was that long ago. I don't know if it was exactly when his previous feature came out, maybe a little bit after that. And it was certainly wider ranging than that. Um, this episode is going to be about A Fire, the latest film from celebrated German filmmaker Christian Petzold. Um, I think it's safe to say one of our collective favorites of uh, of directors working today. I Really, really high up on that list for me at this point. Um, I, I think there's just a unique kind of atmosphere and feeling to his films, which I'm just besotted with he's always got me eating out of the palm of his hand whenever christian petzold releases a new movie andrew how are you doing i'm doing great it was uh a little over two years ago that we had that petzold pro- uh, podcast I, was it I really just it, i just looked it up unless we've done two july 5th 2021 was when we talked about uh undina, undina? which had been yeah yeah and then i'll i'll echo the things you said because the that would have been two years ago, my first time watching any Petzold. And he's got two of my, if, if we're, I'm making a list of like 25 movies, two of his are probably on there for the last 15 years or so in Barb, or excuse me, in Phoenix and, and Transit. So 10 years even and looking at it. Uh, those are two of my favorites. And uh, I haven't seen his full filmography like you have. There's still some I need to backtrack on. I've seen a lot of it. And from what I've seen, I'll, I'll as the as the the people say, Adam uh, Christian Petzold don't miss. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen his full filmography. I'm getting closer to that. Um, a lot of his early work, and I guess what are films, but they were made for TV films. But the landscape is very different in Germany, and um, with a lot of state funded models that made for TV films. Uh, can be something very different than the kind of stigma that would come with that kind of title in the US or the UK or lots of other parts of the world. So some of it is uh, just a little bit harder to find. Uh, it is out there, but not kind of readily streaming for people to go and kind of dive all the way in. But no, by no means lost, you can go and see it. Um, and what is striking when you do that is just the level of consistency the level of from very early in his career his films feel like his films they like they feel like what they've become to this point where even if the kind of time and place and setting changes there's still something in the writing and there's still something in the direction that feels very much his um which i'm always a fan of i i'm always a fan of that kind of 
authorial mark um a, a filmmaker who can apply it with that level of consistency so that yeah when you're excited there's a new christian petzl film coming out no matter what it ultimately is when you sit down to watch it you very quickly kind of settle in it's like yeah this is this is petzl having said that this one is a little bit different and um, it's a little bit different than anything he's done for a while and i haven't really talked at all with you about what you thought of this film but i was part of a group chat where you you shared your your feelings or your reaction to someone else and you mentioned that i i don't know exactly how you were it maybe that you were a little bit surprised uh, or wasn't quite what you expected but you really enjoyed yourself um was that in a kind of a comparative sense to the more recent run of undina transit phoenix barbara um, all of which are either set back in time or almost set out of time, like Transit and Undina. Was that part of it where this is just a kind of decidedly grounded and contemporary story? Was that part of maybe what surprised you or or what was it? Yeah, a little bit. Um, that's definitely part of it. But, and... I, I'm catching myself this time and not being so reckless, so I will not throw up any spoilers. Uh, but it it lands in a spot that felt very petzled to me. Yeah. But the journey to get there is a lot funnier than I'm mm-hmm. used to for from his films. And like it just kind of jarred me and caught me by surprise. And also the contemporary uh, setting. And then they're at, we still do get some of those like, dreamlike or <laughs> like just the beginning points of a nightmare like vibes from this and some of the good or the smart things he does with sort of natural phenomena in uh that setting uh helped that out but yeah it was just all in all surprising it was kind of i i don't know if it's a complete departure from what he normally does because obviously like i said i haven't seen the the full catalog but there's a lightness that early on that doesn't exist in transit or Phoenix, especially. And I guess Barbara's fairly heavy as well. And yellow obviously is very heavy um, <laughs> in the end, but yeah, it, it felt like him being true to what I know him as, but also like stepping outside the lines a little bit. And I know uh, I, uh, I've read a little bit in the time after this, that a, a, a lot of people are comparing this as, as sort of like a, I don't know if tribute is the right word, but an influence by Eric Romare um, and some of his films. So uh, for me, it's just Petzold showing a different side of himself to me for, for much of the film. And I really like that. I like when uh, people that obviously have only got a two year relationship with the films, but I like when they can surprise you like that, but also stay true to themselves and create something that I still really enjoyed. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a departure. Um, I do think Petzold is one of my favorite filmmakers to just like, spent some time on YouTube watching interviews and Q&As. He was very prolific during COVID, in part because of the release of Undina. So he did a lot of um, virtual Q&As, which now I live in YouTube. So I feel like I've actually watched and listened to him speak about how he views films and the kind of films he likes and stuff more than most directors. Um. And he is very naturally funny. Like he's got a very dry wit. He's a very kind of energetic, kind of lively character in a way that I don't know. I, I'm just kind of used to at this point. Um, but if you'd watched a bunch of his films and you'd never really seen him talk or got a sense of, well, what does Christian Petzold the person seem like? I, I think it would probably be very surprising um, given the tone and subject matter of a lot of his films. But this was born out of um, specifically him wanting to make an Eric Romare-like film. He's been telling the story on the the press trail for a fire pretty consistently, which is uh, while he was doing press for Undina, he contracted COVID from... Uh, an interpreter who was working, I believe it was at Venice, but I could be wrong on that. I'm trying to think of a similar time of year when Andina premiered. I feel like he said Venice, though. 
um, who was working with him and Paula Bear, and that interpreter collapsed at a screening they were at, and they went to help, and then were they all tested positive for COVID within a very short period of time. And one of the gifts that uh, he had received from a distribution company in his travels was the entire works of Eric Romare on Blu-ray. So when he had COVID, he uh, he basically did nothing but watch the films of Eric Romare. And he got thinking about how all of these prominent national cinemas around the world have what can only be described as a summer movie. It may take a different shape or form. That may mean something different in different countries. But, for example, the example he gives for the U.S. is, you know, this kind of the last day of high school um, style setup, which gives way to a summer movie, something that has a distinctly summer feel. And he felt an absence of this in German cinema. And he traces it back to uh, the film People on Sunday, which is a 1930 German silent film which is uh, essentially like uh, the Avengers of German filmmakers who came to uh, shape Hollywood when they had to flee Germany in the light of the rise of the Nazis and the onset of World War II. It was directed by Robert Seedmack and Edgar G. Ulmer. Um, Billy Wilder did the story. Fred Zinnemann was cinematography assistant. And this is a film I have not seen. I'm curious to check it out because Petzl does keep talking about it at great length. But he pins this as like the last German summer movie. The last movie that was about ordinary people. That could be about workers who were just caught up in what it's like for it to be summertime, to be carefree, to be going, to be living your life, to be experiencing things. And he has lots of theories about why that died and why that went away. And he's talked quite a lot about his feeling that when summer movies have been made um, in the post-war years in Germany, uh, where for example, in America, the parents will never be present in German cinema. The parents are always present and it creates a completely different dynamic. And those films are always more controlled. Um, this all kind of combined to make him want to make a German summer movie. So with Romare as the starting point, and I guess going back to some of the legendary filmmakers of uh, pre-war German cinema, that's kind of where the germ for this started. Uh, you may remember, I don't know if this was on our first podcast this year, if it was our first podcast last year, but we definitely had an episode where we were looking ahead at some of the most hotly anticipated films. And the word that was out on this uh, was that Petzold was determined to make a film that was going to kind of continue the elemental theme that had been going on. He just made a film about water, so fire was going to be the driver here. And that sex was going to be right at the heart of this. And it was specifically... Um, to pick up where we left off last episode, it was going to be gay sex. And I remember seeing all these reports and it reading a lot, of, raising a lot of eyebrows with people. Um, that is not what a fire ended up being, but it's also it's, you know, it's off camera in a fire. You know, we could say there are certainly elements of that film, um, elements of that world that I think he credits to dreams he had when he was struck with fever with COVID. So there just seems to be this really kind of wide and disparate range of things that came to fuel this, but all basically his experience around having COVID-19 and some of the things that he was exploring or that came to his mind during that time. And in a lot of ways, I do think there is a fever dream-esque quality to the movie um and to its progression and even you know when you have a dream and you're aware that you're dreaming when you're having it and that the characters aren't quite making sense or they're behaving in ways that aren't quite making sense and yet for whatever reason that's still not enough to get you to kind of wake up out of it and you're going along with it i do think there is something of that to a fire particularly with the lead character of leon uh where you're just like <laughs> God, this guy is 
well, not just that he's the worst, but it's like he keeps making decisions that he instantly hates himself for making and is no less likely to make the same kind of decision a few minutes later in a way that just kind of defies any conventional logic, but does feel like something quite dreamlike, like a frustrating dream that you might have. Yeah, as you well know, Adam, I recently dreamed that I was uh, selected as the final captain's pick for the Ryder Cup at Marco Simeone in Rome in a few weeks, and I'm not good at golf, so I understand how uh, dreams can be insane on the surface, yet in the dream, you're really just going along with whatever's happening. So, But that's a conversation for another day. Yeah, there is something very dreamlike to it. Uh, and But also, I still grounded, I, I would say. Yes, uh, in Leon, so. Leon, the lead character, like it's like if I pulled out everything I hate about myself and put it on a <laughs> mirror in front of me, like I, his worst impulses that he steers into, uh, and like, I guess insecurities is the best way to describe what is manifesting for him as he goes about his summer that should be, you know, productive and pleasant. Uh, I want to go back to one thing you said, uh, Petzold can, uh, came up with this, you know, in the throes of COVID-19. There's uh, my work on record while I had COVID-19, um, much less uh, quality than what's going on in a fire. But yeah, and I also think a lot of the dreamlike state, and I don't mean this in a bad way because it's a very much a different type of character, but you use the word like manic pixie dream girl. But Paula Bear, it's pronounced bear, not beer. Bear, correct. Bear. Okay, perfect. Just wanted to get on that, uh, get that right. Uh, because you know, you do know I love beer. I host a podcast about a baseball team that's you know based around beer, but there's something very dreamlike to her character early on. Uh, like there's uh, it, she, I honestly think throughout, I, I, I think yeah. there's something where maybe, maybe we unpack a little bit later exactly what that is, but I, I think there's something very intentional in terms of, uh, we are seeing her as Leon sees her, but also only as Leon allows himself to see her. And only kind of, only as narrowly as his frame of mind is kind of open to at any period of time, which is generally not very open at all, which is, that is the whole frame for the film. I mean, you've got all these other, there are three to four i think three characters who are very much kind of right at the heart of what's going on here um there's a i i think the characters are exceptionally well written here but i think there's a really interesting balancing act where there's a distance kept from all of those other characters that i don't think is down to they're underwritten or they're not underexplored as much as petzold is letting us like live in the space in the way that we only kind of have access to what Leon would have access to by way of how miserable and antisocial he is being uh, throughout the film. And we can, and we can see everyone else from like above Leon, like if that makes sense so that we Mm -hmm. realize that his internalization of them and then outward responses is not the proper way that he should be responding here, but also like, to your point, we get like we can even if we're not hearing his internal thoughts, we hear his internal monologue about the whole thing where we're not getting that from anywhere one else in my mind. Um, and everyone else kind of just in the way that's not underwritten, like you said, exists around Leon's orbit. Uh, and that's how that's how he kind of views the world is what you come to realize is because of whatever insecurities it's having someone read your manuscript when you think they're one thing and then you find out they're another and that changes your whole perception about it. Like just the, the privileged, like elitist mindset that's born from uh, being in the midst of what you consider a failure is what drives that. But yeah, it, we're just completely in Leon's toxic mindset the whole time. And I don't mean that in like a, you know, headline from the Washington post kind of way. I just mean that. <laughs> and just like, that's, that's how he goes about it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think if we take, for example, his friend Felix, we get to know Felix pretty well. We got a lot of Felix early in the film. And then Felix becomes his own complete mystery, catching Leon off guard with uh, the choices he's making and possibly catching us as an audience somewhat off guard. 
but it's because we've been closed off to it because Leon is no longer just really engaging with him or partaking in that friendship. And so, yeah, we're not really, we're not a part of that world. And it's just like, here you go. This is what's happening now. And I, I think Nadja, the character played by Paula Bear, is very, very similar to that where there is something she is not a manic pixie dream girl but the setup almost carries some of that same feeling um you could i guess describe her as somewhat elusive and there's something even a bit ethereal about her kind of early in the movie but that is entirely attributable to leon because even in the brief interactions we do get um i guess the idea that the audience might be kind of cooking up of her from when he's essentially spying on her from a distance or when Mm -hmm. he's just hearing her through the bedroom wall uh, is very different to, I mean, the unbelievably like personable and nice and friendly person that she seems to be immediately every time he speaks to her. Um, And I really, really like and admire that. And I think it's just the kind of intelligence that is, and ever present in Petzold's films. Um, like I, I think specifically with the Nadja character, like Paula Bear has had to play kind of mysterious women a couple of times for very different reasons in his films. And he knows at this point that she is absolutely phenomenal at that. And that there is something quite kind of alluring about her in that role. And that she's obviously incredibly beautiful. She's a really charismatic actor but a charismatic actor without having to be center of the frame at all times and without having to have lots and lots of dialogue, the movie is naturally going to kind of gravitate towards her. She's a magnetic presence in Petzold's films. And there's probably some of that that gets played with here as well, because sure, there will be some people who go in and they go and see a fire or fire it up and streaming and it's their first Petzold movie. Um, the vast majority have probably seen Transit and probably Undina as well. And they're just, they're in for the ride at this time. And they're being like, okay, this is the third collaboration between Paula Bear and Christian Petzold. And I have an idea of what Paula Bear is in his movies. And I think this film kind of starts out to set her up in a not dissimilar way. Um, and then very smartly, I think, subverts your your expectations as an audience in line with what the the lead character, the protagonist's expectations were with that. I think there's something about both actors here that really adds another element to this. Now, Paula, Paula Bear is only 28 years old, but she is like, for me, when I meet someone that's around my age and I'm like, oh, that's a real adult. Like they're put together, like they're, they're doing fine. That, and I'm like, I don't feel that way at all. And something about just, her, I don't know. I don't know if it's like it's not professionalism. That's not the word I'm looking. But there's like she's very put together, and he is just so not that. Her life is very structured like... and competent, even though, I mean, professionally, he wouldn't view it as anything of anything. But she's she's everything she does has a clearly defined goal that she's working towards, and that that can be like what she's gathering to make dinner that night, or that can be where and why she's working in the summer to work towards what she wants to do beyond that. It's all just very goal oriented without her, you know, grabbing every person she meets and telling them all about her goals. Like she doesn't even need to do that. It's so in order. And I think that's what makes it like twice as frustrating for him because he is just, he's just so petulant and he seems like a brat the whole time. And oh, I, I put out one book and now I have the, the pressure of the next one. I was reading a bunch of stuff about um, <laughs> this can go dark. Um, I, I didn't mean it this way, but I was reading a lot of stuff about uh, David Foster Wallace and like the pressure of following up, following up uh, infinite Jesse. This is what I do it to in the morning, read about like why authors killed themselves. Uh, and that was like, have you read infinite chest? Uh, no, so this is no, no. I'm just wondering, like, was this I've the read... spark it, or is this just general curiosity about David Foster Wallace? 
I've read a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again, which is a collection of essays, which was a lot mm-hmm. easier for someone with my limited brain power than to get through <laughs> Infinite Jest with all of the uh, the footnotes. But I I was just so fascinated by like the um the idea of like I I've done this one thing, I feel the same, like this didn't uh like change anything for me. And now I've got to do something else again. And I know what I'm working on right now is dog shit. And that's where we meet uh, Leon. And I think him, his in his brain is just like a sparring match with himself, filled with self-hatred, doubt, and the inability to understand uh, why someone providing criticism, no matter what their uh, job in life is, is not some uh, a personal attack that needs to be fixated on to the point where you lose all respect for that person, and then you get so far up on so far up your own asshole that you can't even like, uh, like process daily life because you view everyone as lesser than you. But that's really because you view yourself as lesser because you're stuck. And I think him watching her just be so like calm and like put together, like you said, and structured, it's just something like drives you insane because you look at the world and you're like, why isn't everyone else as unhappy as I am? And that's got to be a, well, yeah, it is a terrible place to live in. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So over the past, what will we say? I'd say decade. Over the past decade, I have on multiple occasions tried to write or had ideas to write screenplays. And still something I would very like to do. It's very much like to do. Still something like, you know, there's probably an ideal world where my life breaks a certain way and I write screenplays and that that would become my life. Uh, People listening to this podcast, that's probably not going to be surprising to. Um... But I do think probably in part with how much I love film, how kind of deeply I think about film, uh, I, I've always I've always found it nearly impossible because I guess the part that you often hear writers talk about of just kind of powering through something and you just got to just got to get a first draft there and then you work back from that is something that I've always struggled with. But beyond that, something I've really struggled with is... I'd start writing something and I'd be like, you haven't, you haven't lived enough life for this. And I, I do think this is a really kind of real thing. Um, I was only actually thinking about this and listening to interviews with Petzl about this film, even though he wasn't framing it in this way. He was talking about really, he was in his mid thirties by the time, you know, he wrote his first feature script and he kind of, he became a film director. Uh, that to me is this character of Leon. He is not, he is literally not living his life. Like, I'm not surprised his second novel is shit because he's probably got lucky to get one uh, that wasn't with the way his life seems to be going, with how miserable he is, with how closed off he is, 
um, not just from the people around them, but really the world around them. He's just, he's not partaking in anything. I don't know how that leads to interesting writing. Um, I'm kind of largely of the belief that people have to have to have some lived experience. Not that that has to be what they write about, but you've got to, you've got to have a real kind of well to draw from that I think can take time. There are freakish people who it doesn't take time at 21 or, you know, what, like quotes, the tweet was going around quite a lot recently of uh, Paul Thomas Anderson uh, after the, the premiere of Boogie Nights. Some of the time Boogie Nights had released, I mean, PTA is two films into his career and he's like 28 and he's made a three hour epic with one of the, greatest casts in the past 30 years of movies um not everyone is like that though and not everyone can be like that and that's the thing that really strikes me in the film is leon is not living his life but yet he has the arrogance to think he can just power on and write a great novel it's like of course you can't that's my view from it i'm watching i'm like you need to you need to put that book down and you need to go and you know hang out with these people and go and enjoy your time at the beach or go and do whatever, like, because this book isn't coming about any other way. Um, and I guess what that feeds into, there have been a lot of, I mean, critical responses to has been generally very positive. Um, I've seen a lot of critics talk about feeding borderline attacked by how much they see themselves in this character, in this film. Uh, Petzold himself has spoken about never viewing this as anything remotely autobiographical um, until he was on set and until all of his actors started making fun of him about it and realizing that yeah it's pretty autobiographical um, Leon's seemingly very bad uh, attempted second novel Club Sandwich is uh, not completely you know, not too far removed from the title of Petzold's second film, Cuba Libra, which was its own right of failure and was something that Paula Bear and the cast uh, kind of got out of him and made a lot of fun of him for across this film. And he said from that, he came to kind of realize, yeah, there is something of this in his own struggles with his second film and his own ideas of, I guess, what it means to be a writer, what it means to be an artist. And you've got one thing and then you try to go and make another. Um, so I like I. I think it's it's kind of excessive how much of an asshole that character is, in a funny way. But at the same time, I do think it's coming from obviously somewhere that's a place of truth for Petzold, um, which doesn't make the film any less interesting by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I mean, I I. I'm not a creative, but I would put myself into the same uh, category as some of those critics that uh, were like, hey, you're me when I don't like myself uh, with Leon. Um, so it's interesting how he could get to me like so far down the rabbit hole of a project. And this is a tangent that you may or may not care to hear. Um but oh, that's I care. One of, I care to hear. Uh, <laughs> one of the things I found so interesting and unique to movies, maybe literature as well, but different medium and can hit you in a more obviously visual and visceral way is that even a filmmaker can start out making a movie as one thing and then realize something entirely about it by the time they're midway through or even done with it or even like you see it a second or third time. So I think obviously one of the, the powerful things in the medium that he could be making his movie and then Paula Bear <laughs> making fun of him at craft services is kind of uh, what makes the light bulb tick off there. Um, do you want me to set up kind of just what this movie is about before we discuss it any further, just so people have that frame of reference, or do you think we're better off leaving some of the mystery there? No, uh, please do that. You've seen this considerably more recently than me, so you're much better equipped for that. I will say anyone who's listened this far, and if you haven't seen a fire, obviously you should probably stop listening soon enough in case we get spoiler territory. But also, if you don't know a whole lot about Petzold, go back and listen to that episode we did on Petzold and on Dina two years ago, supposedly, according to Andrew. That's a long time ago. Um, but we talked a lot more about Petzold's background, his inspirations, really his overall journey. And then I guess the, the core works of his filmography, the things that really 
if you're looking for your places to start, um, where you should absolutely go in the likes of Transit and Phoenix. So for a wider view on Petzold, um, I at least remember that being a pretty good conversation and talking about a lot of great films. So worth checking out. But yes, I'll hand it over to you to maybe give a little, a little bit more background for a fire. Yeah, I'll give the background. I will say, uh, on the fi- on the feed uh, that you can find, uh, "Getting Lost in Christian Petzold's Dreamlike Cinema of Ghosts" from July fifth, twenty twenty one. So get into that. You can hear our thoughts on, like you, Adam said, all those movies. Like, if you if you only do two Transit and Phoenix for me, but Yella, Barbara, also fantastic. Um, so Leon, the writer that we mentioned who has published his first book he's working and fine-tuning the manuscript on his second book that he has uh, mostly written in berlin travels with his friend felix to felix's uh family holiday home near the baltic sea uh they end up uh with a car broken down in the woods they have to walk the rest of the journey when they get there felix delivers a little bit of other bad news as they're going to have a tenant with them for the summer paula bears nadia uh who is staying as well. She, we, uh, we don't know much about her when we get there. And we just hear, like you said, through, uh, Leon's eyes and Leon's ears as he hears her on the first night, having sex and, and the other room, uh, with them, assuming she does not know that they've arrived yet. Cause they arrived where, while she is out for the day. And that sets up, uh, kind of, uh, a, a four person really core story with, uh, Leon and Felix, Nadja, who seems lovely and amazing every time we see her on camera. Uh, and uh, her kind of, uh, I guess we'll just say like hookup friend, David, who is also a rescue swimmer, even though Leon frequently tries to cut him down by talking about him being just a lifeguard. Um, <laughs> and we go from there. Uh, interest on many levels. Uh, the frustration of work. Felix is also uh, trying to get into, I think, art photography school and he's trying mm-hmm. to put together his portfolio uh based around the sea and how people take in the sea visually um and we go from there and that's kind of the backdrop for all of uh the angst between leon just seeing all these other people that he he kind of resents as he struggles with his second novel and waits for his publisher to arrive to provide, provide feedback yeah i think that's uh a very accurate and succinct setup of of what the film involves um and really as we kind of alluded to before that it's it's about all of that but it's it's seen through what leon will allow us to see at any given moment uh, he is our our eyes and ears mostly in this world and we spent a lot of the film with him agonizing, kind of self-hating over both what he's written so far and over the impending visit of his publisher. And in just so many ways, like, we see him be the absolute worst, but also kind of accidentally, I'm thinking of the sequence where he goes to the local town and he visits the hotel, and there's like a, a writer's suite, which is named after, I can't remember what writer, a famous writer, the hotel worker mispronounces, to which on his publisher on the phone, he then very mockingly kind of refers to what they're saying the hotel's name, uh, what the hotel suite's name is. And there are very few scenes as we keep getting the reaction shots of the hotel worker still in the room, which Leon doesn't realize, like where you're like, my God, this guy is such an asshole. Like, but he's he doesn't mean it. Like he's he's just really performatively trying to be something, trying to work something. It's all very much tied back, very obviously, to his own insecurities about himself and about his work. I mean, the whole film is kind of undertied in this really interesting way, where like from the get go, you're like well, he's really attracted to Nadja here, which, of course, he is. It's Paula Bear. But also, like, I I don't even... This is really underselling. He does not know what to do about that. He does not... Like, he literally acts like a five-year-old pulling a girl's hair in a playground. Um, He just seems 
incapable of like normal human interactions you made reference to that scene where he mocks david about his job that kind of dinner sequence it's a great sequence and just like a really kind of rare meltdown for a character like he really loses it he really he really goes there um but there's there's more sequences like that like when he bumps into nadia coming back from um coming back from her work at the ice cream stand in the town and she's bringing goulash back from the the hotel and she's looking to prepare dinner and on their multiple kind of back and forths on that journey guy's just such an asshole it's it's really really something um and I, I guess it, there is an extent I do feel like the film gets held back somewhat because of that, because it's very hard to redeem him. Even though I think the movie has the right ideas about what, what has him like that and what he hasn't been exposed to to make him view the world in a way that's a little less self-involved, self-centered. You know, I, I think his problem is that he can only see two or three inches in front of his face for most of the first half of the film. And it takes, you know, it takes tragedy, but it takes also like forces of nature on a really grand scale to reach a point that's, you know, unavoidable. You can't divert your eyes away from it for him to essentially lift his head up, lift his head up out of his laptop and uh, yeah, see the world around them and see the people around them and see what his place, like how insignificant he is within that larger frame. Yeah, I don't know if you mentioned this as well. I probably, I was probably Googling goulash or something. Um, I might try and make some goulash once it gets cold. That's a very, I know they're having it in the summer, Adam, but it seems like a very nice, like, cold weather uh, dish. You know, you get it in the crock pot and you just warm it up. But anyway, um, there's, uh, this is all set against the backdrop of, like, there are these wildfires that are happening throughout the area and end up encroaching on the area so i mean uh, are, are kind of encroaching from the start like and it's just yeah. it's they decide to still go to this place in spite of the fact that not too far away there are raging wildfires and we we kind of get these little tidbits of information drops throughout that you know whether it's when they're in the town and there's like police announcements of no barbecues and no smoking in wooded areas and all of these kind and of they things just keep the on the summer keep on rolling on. smokes I thought that was going to be Chekhov's like uh roll tobacco. <laughs> yeah, I really did cuz that that guy loved to just make hand rolled cigarettes. I don't think it was weed. I think it was tobacco. But yeah, uh, I think it was hand rolled cigarettes. I think you're right. Yeah. Okay. Um but yeah, that for some reason now I know all the characters are involved in this cuz they're all staying, but that just for me highlighted the self-centeredness as well cuz they're like, yeah, the wind blows in from the from the water it's yeah we're fine like everything's going on we're still smoking my cigarettes and that's just like yeah <laughs> we see you do this to human beings and you see and we see you do this uh to others i i, I want to or to the environment i should say um something you said i think is really important about where we reach the ending point and whether or not people feel it was earned or redeemed i'm i could hear either argument but something i think about Good writers, whether songwriters, screenwriters, or novels or whatever, you have to have a degree of empathy about um, what you're covering or just in general, I feel like, for your characters, for the world. <laughs> There's a noted lack of empathy in his uh, draft we hear of his uh, first novel. The character in that that is we, we see snippets of is very selfish, it would seem. And... Uh, I think where we end up landing with this film is like to your to your earlier comment, he gets punched in the face and he's lived life now in various ways. And one way that is just something you don't come back from, even if in his final novel, he says it could be something that he one day forgets. Uh, but I don't think it is. I think that's something that sticks with you. And I think uh, this is very much a will you learn your lesson movie as you just like progress again or progress through life in your own little bubble 
can you start to recognize the other people within that as something more than just like people to exist for you to either uh, denigrate or mock or pine over with no real plan. And I, I, I think there's like a respectful way Paula Bear plays this character where it's clear the affection from a like romantic standpoint is one way. There's a clear like, uh, like I think she recognizes who he is completely and why he is the way he is. But there's a pat him on the head type of uh, relationship there. But also she has the empathy to kind of understand that he feels this connection and, and she she understands there's a great scene on the beach after they've gotten back from a hospital. I won't spoil what that was about, which is like the second time we see Leon just fully not understanding what is happening. First one's when Leon and uh, David get together. And the second one is in ward four where he, like the conversation that he's having with someone where he thinks he's being kicked to the curb and no, it's this person won't be around anymore. So that's why they can't help you. And it's just, that's a great scene showing just the disconnect and the distance and maturity between those two characters. And it just comes back to him not paying attention, right? Just being yeah. in his own world and not actually picking up on the signs and the signals and everything that's around them. I, I do think there is a touch of Deus Ex Machina in the ending and in the the events that kind of bring about his revelation. Um, but Petzold is the greatest writer and director of cinematic endings that there is. And maybe one of the greatest of all time at that. I'm not over exaggerating here. But maybe people listening who are not familiar with Petzold's work and think I'm surely talking on my ass on this. I promise you, I'm not. Um. So even in a, in a film where, to me, I I think the ending works. I I think there's maybe just the first part of Act Three might just be a little bit too swift. I think we get from one place in the story to another quite quickly, and that flips everything on its head. Um, but at the same time, the details pay off in a way that you just come to expect. Um, Felix being a photographer and his project for his photography, and that how how that feeds into um, the new book that Leon is writing, and a lot of the ideas there, and the intangible kind of element where I think Leon finally has opened himself up. And so in his head, he feels like he knows who Nadja is and he's kind of, he's got a handle on that. The reality is she's as mysterious as ever. And he's just still kind of being somewhat presumptive. And I think the ending does a really good job of showing uh, a world and a life of hers beyond that. And maybe still betraying that for as much as he's learned, there is still a level of ignorance here. Or maybe there's just something as simple as that he's kind of blinded by everything about her. And he doesn't exactly think all that rationally around her. Um, but I think although it may not be smooth in the kind of, if we want to put this as like a relay race and the, the handoff of the baton for the, the final 100 meters and this 4 by 100 meter relay race might not have been the smoothest of handoffs. I, I do think Petzold finishes the race quite strongly. Um, it just, there is that little bit of something there, which is, is tough. But, and part of this also comes from, I think, the, the performance is so good that uh, Thomas Schubert gives as Leon he's like so convincingly an asshole that it it takes some time and some work to come back from and maybe more so than the movie we even really had in its runtime and that's down to both the the script and to the the performance and the direction um side note quick question do you think or do you know how good matthias brant's english is i have no idea Okay, because if they do a Eric Clapton biopic, uh, I think I think he could nail that. Um, he really, really looks like Eric Clapton. He does. I don't know if you picked up on that until an idiot was talking to you across the screen, but uh, he's got he's got a, he's also got a great voice. I don't know. Are you familiar with? I mean, his voice work and what we know his voice from. Um, I don't. What do we know it from? 
oh, he's the barkeeper in transit who's the narrator in transit. Ah. And the narration in transit is kind of really kind of deep and dreamy. And it's just, it's like in perfect step with uh, Stefan Ville's like amazing, amazing score for that film. So that's that's his previous uh, collaboration uh, with Petzold, along with I believe uh, a television show, uh, Polizei Ruf One Ten. God, I I was trying. I was gonna go. Do I have One Ten in my arsenal? I've forgotten what One Hundred is in German. I did study German at one point, Andrew, but it's nearly all gone. Um, but Petzold definitely worked on directed some of that show and i assume their paths probably crossed at some point but it's like an ongoing crime drama that has run for uh 42 years now in in germany uh 401 episodes but petzold if he didn't work directly um which i do think he did with matthias brand on those uh, i'm sure he was more than familiar with him from that having worked on the show himself Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom, and a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. I make that joke just to say that uh, I I agree the, as you call it, the baton handoff. But as soon as his character is introduced into the story, like, uh, and he tells you about the rush nature of his trip, I'm kind of thinking just like, okay, this is going to be a blip on the radar character. None of this matters. And then by the time we get to that room, at the end, and especially as we're laying out Felix's photos, I don't know. Like for some reason, he just like grabbed me by the throat as a character when I when I thought like this was going to be kind of a meaningless role. I think it's a really strong performance and a really captivating performer. But he's also, as a character, he's everything Leon is not, which is he comes into this space and to this world of these people. And he's open and he's empathetic and he wants to spend time and listen to them and learn about their stories and talk about things with them. And essentially, you know, we're there as Leon, as an audience, and we're hearing details about those characters for the first time purely because here is a character who's prepared to listen. Here's a character who, you know, was wants to spend time with people and get to know people and know who they are and what they're about. And I think that character ends up being really important, essentially a key to unlocking the other characters and widening that world so that Leon can have his ultimate revelations when, you know, push comes to shove. Uh, but I, I don't think that can happen without the character of Helmut. And I, I do think that performance is really, really strong. And I think it subverts what you would necessarily expect from that person coming there as the the publisher, as like the not the executioner, but the guy who's going to come and carve up your story and tell you that it sucks. And instead, he does that, but he does it in a constructive way and still showing belief in Leon, even while Leon's behavior and just kind of the everything about him might make you think he's not a guy you want to really like stake your claim to. And it seems like in the end, that patience and empathy and openness is rewarded. Um, it's it's a lot like uh, it's a lot like Ty Windish. Like sometimes when I haven't put in a best podcast performance and he pulls me aside he goes hey Andy that wasn't your best stuff but I believe in you I believe that this Yankees recap I believe that this uh he would not know any of the movies we're going to talk about so I'll uh skip that part of the joke but you know it's just that kind of leadership that I saw from Helmet there he's never done that with me but that doesn't mean what you're saying isn't true that might just mean that my performance is always false yeah I think I think that's what it is um 
you know, I, he he knows what uh what each of his guys need from him, and and mine's you know the arm around the back, and uh, your guys is like arguments about Bobby Portis or something. <laughs> um, what about Paula Bear? Uh, last week we talked about Franz Rogowski and we talked about like his place in terms of the best actors working right now. I think Paula Bear is right there for actresses, and I don't know if Petzold has fully locked in on what he's doing next yet. I would not be opposed to him reuniting Paula Bear and Franz Rogowski, um for a third time and doing something with that pairing. But I, I think what I like about this character, as I mentioned, it is set up in a way that feels quite similar to Undina, that feels quite similar to her transit character. Um, but then she is actually given the time to do a lot more, to speak a lot more, to have a fully formed personality. Um, and that comes by way of, I guess, showcasing her intelligence and the intelligence that just flies completely under the radar to to Leon, almost just in a, a quite condescending classist assumed way based on who she is and what he sees her doing. But, well, what would she know about anything? And the reality is she knows more about anything, I think, than any of them there in multiple ways in a real-life sense, but even specifically in terms of what he's doing in his writing. She's uniquely equipped to help him and he wasn't open to that or willing to even consider that until it's kind of too late or until it doesn't really mean a whole lot. I mean, in a longer term, maybe there's an impact of it, but you know, things could be very different. Uh, he's infatuated with this woman thinking she's great. Well, she's even more perfect for him than he's uh, willing to find out because he was just so, so closed off. Yeah, and he's also like, you're trying to steal my editor, publisher, whatever it is, even though she, I, I, I do not think by any means that was her intent. She didn't know who was staying with them when she got to this area. Um, I, I'll i start by saying Paula Bear is on the Rogowski level, like you said, of just like, oh, this person's in something? Well, it's probably going to be elevated from what it could be. Undine is a good movie. I think I'm having a hard time imagining myself not thinking it's an absolute disaster without those two helming it because there's something just about their performances that I think like I can't picture anyone else in that role um and yeah I mean I think just the way you unpeel the layers of the onion of of her character in this and you learn more and more about her and that it just it just makes Leon look worse it's I love I love hate the the scene where he's trying to profess his love to her and that abruptly gets stopped like because that's actually a godsend for him. Buddy, you had no way to land that plane in that moment. So just be <laughs> thankful you got out of that situation. Yes, it's a tough beat. I was even I was uh I was it is uh maybe the Q and A he did at the Lincoln Center. I was watching earlier in advance of this Petzold. And he was being asked about his casting and the casting director he's worked with really for a long, long time and who helped him arrive at Paula Bear, um, who the story goes for that. He's good friends with Francois Ozon and he was doing some translation work for one of Francois Ozon's films, which had a few minutes of German in it. And Ozon had just ca cast um, Paula Bear in his film France. And he was just telling Petzold, and he showed pictures to Petzold, and Petzold was like, "Yeah, <laughs> that's that's it." Um, he doesn't like to do traditional auditions or anything, and he just kind of basically cast her off off the back of that for Transit. They had one conversation, and she kind of thought she was going to be auditioning. He likes to hear people read rather than see people read, because he says the voice cannot lie. Um and that's what it was and she was a part of his repertoire and Franz Rogowski probably a similar deal um, off the back of his his work with Michael Hanukkah as I mentioned last week um, but this this film is dedicated to his casting director who passed away um, I just I do think 
he describes the Leon character and specifically casting Thomas Schubert as that originally he imagined this as being a handsome actor, which seems like a pretty brutal thing for poor Thomas Schubert. But when he was talking, that part of me was wondering whether this was originally something that he probably had Franz Rogowski in mind for again and was going to go that route. And the conclusion he arrived at is if this character has all of the traits that Leon has and he's also incredibly handsome, it's, there's just no coming back from that for an audience. You're going to despise him. You need something to humanize this character. You need something to make him more relatable. Um, and I guess that's what he saw in Thomas Schubert, and that's how he arrived at that. Who gives a really good performance, but I also just don't know. I find it tough coming out of this to see him in another film or imagine what that would be like, or like to see if he's someone who would recur in Petzold's movies. He's just so... He really kind of embodies the energy of Leon in this film, where to imagine him being something different, I kind of have to see it to get there. Um, but I, I did think that was interesting in the way that he talks about that character and maybe the way he originally envisioned it, that I wonder was maybe a Franz Rogowski collaboration on the cards again originally, or at least someone more of that type. Um, which for anyone who doesn't know and um, didn't go back and listen to the other Petzold episode we did yet, like, Repeat collaborations is kind of Petzold's deal, but more specifically with his leading ladies. Uh, he had a very, very long and successful set of collaborations with Nina Haas, the great German actress, uh, which, I mean, doesn't seem like there was ever any falling out or anything there. So I imagine at some point Nina Haas and Petzold will uh, reunite. You know, count me in for like, you know, let's get, the full A team together and get Nina Haas in a film that also includes Paula Bear, who's now on the last tree. And can we get Franz Rogowski back in the mix? Like, I think this is this is the really good stuff that we're all looking for. Matthias Brand, he can come back. I'm in on him now. Um, Zerfeld? Sorry, who'd you say? Ronald Zerfeld? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would work. I mean, that's just the pets all the all-stars. How about we just we bring them all back together? Um, there is something really interesting about that though and there aren't too many even like someone like Scorsese gets kind of paired with the De Niro with DiCaprio even in those eras there were breaks when Petzold gets into a rhythm with someone they're in every movie and not even in like a, a Wes Anderson way where there are people who are in every movie but their kind of prominence in the cast rotates around. It's like, no, if you're a Petzl leading lady, you might do six, seven movies straight where you're the leading lady. That's fascinating. It's so interesting to see a director and an actor work like that um, and work through the different elements of that. And the work that Nina Hoss did with Petzl is honestly mind-blowing. Um, Paula Bear, uh, tree for tree, I think, in terms of the quality of her performances so far. I hope we get to continue seeing that. Particularly, like, this is the first taste of her getting to do something a little bit different with Petzold. I'd love to see that continue to be pushed further. Yeah, I'm on board for the uh, the All-Star team. Make it happen. Any final thoughts? The, the wind um, movie, right? That's what that would be. <laughs> so, Petzold has kind of walked back. It would it would be Earth. Um oh would be the, the final <laughs> I was thinking trilogy. Earth, Wind, and Fire. That's my bad. <laughs> um, he kind of just said, you know, part of being a director or whatever and doing interviews is you say a lot of stuff. And sometimes people just shouldn't pay attention to the stuff you say. Um, and the trilogy thing, he may not be that kind of closely wed to. So whether the Earth movie is what's next, whether the Earth movie ever gets made, I would say that's TBD. Um, but just give me more Petzl and give it to me now. Like, I really... It's so, so exciting every time he has a movie come out. And even in... I, I As I mentioned, I'm rounding out my viewing and I watch some stuff I hadn't seen in advance of this, but I didn't get to see my rewatches. It's like, I'm just desperate. I'm, I'm going to rewatch Transit. I'm going to rewatch Phoenix. 
because they're just really spectacular films. Yeah, and if you want Phoenix, <laughs> you know how to get it. <laughs> but anyway, my my giveaway that that no one responded to. <laughs> oh damn it! I forgot about that. Well, still listen, on the two, table. <laughs> it's a two week giveaway. Do you want to give people the details again? What they have to do to get a copy of Phoenix? Yeah, Criterion Collection is... copy of Phoenix in the wrapper. Um, tweet us a at the make time for this Twitter account. Or Did me, you check the care. mentions? I forgot to check the mentions. Are you sure no one's entered this? There could be a whole flood of people, Andrew, with their hands raised. Please, we're sir. Good. May I have your copy of Phoenix? Uh, we're going to do this on the fly. Mentions. Uh, last mention was from August 21st. <laughs> so, no. Uh, and it was someone talking to Ty about basketball. So... You know, five-star rating and review screenshot on Spotify or Apple. Uh, tweet at make time for this or at AC Snide. And it sounds like if you're the first one that does it, you're probably going to be the only one that does it. I will mail you Phoenix. We'll get all the address information in the DMs. I won't make that public, but there you go. Will, um, now I don't know if the film as great as Phoenix should be the base like this. But I once was a part of a giveaway on one of my other podcasts where Mr. Jordan Tresky signed a DVD copy of M. Night Shyamalan's Lady in the Water. And honestly, Jordan signing it proved to be a big draw for people. Uh, I don't know if I want to encourage, you know, a cinematic masterpiece like Phoenix being signed by Mr. Andrew Snyder. But if that was to be what someone wanted from their copy of Phoenix, would you be prepared to sign it? Uh, I think I, I should sign a greeting card with a dog on it and include that with the DVD just to add the whimsy up to 11, I think is... Uh, I don't want to personalized. Sully... Okay, don't sully the, the actual box, but a personalized note from Andrew Snyder could be included with this. It, it sure could be. Come on. Our mentions are going to be blowing up, Andrew. We might get one to two tweets on this. <laughs> All right. That does it for this episode. Thanks as always to all of you for listening. Make sure you check out the rest of the GSPN shows, starting with the Eurostep Podcast Network, the main feed, home to all things Milwaukee books. Right now, you should be all over all things Green Bay Packers, and that means talking to Tundra with Jordan and Numak. Final preparations for the Packers season. Ramping up. Guys, have you covered? And... Feel more fun, Joe and I. We also talk about Brewers baseball, cruising for bruising for all things Milwaukee Brewers. I think a stressful month or so lies ahead, Andrew. Uh, and if uh, you want to hear us go on that roller coaster, you can certainly do so there. Make time for this is where you'll find more of this stuff, though. Um, our rest by from the trills and spills of Brewers baseball. Please subscribe where you get your podcasts. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam. <laughs>